Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing this song for the dreaming of the world That we may dream as one With every voice, with every song We will move this world along I thought long and hard before deciding to share with all of you listeners today's Spirit in Action program. One hesitation is that it concerns not only a centrally Quaker ministry, but it's one of which I was a founder. I didn't want to go all parochial on you, but I think you'll be very interested in the piecework of the Quaker international folk dance group called the Friendly Folk Dancers. Today's Spirit in Action show was recorded with the group of Friendly Folk Dancers who brought their program to Cuba last November. It was a powerful and moving experience for all of us, these neighbors from the USA and Cuba getting to know one another past the nearly impenetrable curtain that has hidden us from one another for decades. So much of this program centers on our experience in Cuba, but also of our travels in Rwanda, Kenya, and elsewhere in the USA and abroad. Words are no substitute for experience, but I hope they'll serve to inspire you to seek out such an experience, a deep spiritual encounter across cultures through movement and dance. By the way, another hesitation that delayed me in sharing this interview with you is the rough sound quality resulting from simple equipment and poor recording environment. I do believe that the value of the content outweighs the Midland sound quality. So here we go to Hibara, Cuba, for a visit with the touring Friendly Folk Dancers. Pete, Lynn, Demi, Kathy, Rosemary, Barry, and Sandra, I'm so glad we could all join together for this edition of Spirit in Action. We're coming to the end of two weeks here in Cuba, sitting at the moment in Hibara, in the eastern end of Cuba. Maybe we can start out by some of you sharing some of your experience, kind of summing up in a few words what your experience of this two weeks as part of the Friendly Folk Dancer Tour to Cuba has been. How about you, Rosemary? I've been delighted at the opportunities that Cuban friends have taken for outreach into the wider community. This is something we try to encourage our hosts to do, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But in this case, I think it's been particularly successful. And Pete? Well, normally when we go on tour, we preach to the choir. We perform before Quaker groups of like-minded people. I think in this tour, we had the rare opportunity of extending ourselves beyond the Quaker community when we were invited by the uh, Spanish-American house, Casa Americano, to take part in the cultural festival. It certainly exposed others who would not normally hear our message to it. Certainly when we were performing in the street the other night. The same thing when we were at Beret, at the beach where Columbus landed. There was certainly a group of people who never would have ever ventured or thought of venturing into a Quaker meeting and never would have heard the message. Let's talk a little bit about what that message is. 
The password here is Paz, you know, it's peace. And I don't know if people are surprised by it. Certainly Quakers in the U.S. are used to talking about peace. And since the Quakers here in Cuba are of a somewhat different strain from what we usually have encountered in the U.S., I guess maybe I wasn't quite as clear that the message of peace would resonate so strongly. I thought it was shaking the world here. Kathy? Well, there's one aspect of our experience that's been very striking to me in the way that I think our message of peace has opened doors that we didn't expect. I believe there's been something of a political impact of our message here that was possible because of our message of peace and, and nonviolence. There were a whole chain of relationships that were carefully developed over time, not the least of which was the reputation of Quakers worldwide as being a people who care universally about peace and who have compassion for the poor. And I think that was known here way before we arrived. There have been other groups who have brought that message. But over time, a sense of trust has been cultivated. And we simply came in, we, we danced, and we sort of took the partnership in a very easy, natural way to carry it forward. And I think what we saw is that there was a feeling of trust at higher levels of government that enabled us to get the religious visa in the first place, to do something unusual, which was to dance here, and then further to get permission to participate in the Ibero American Arts Festival, which had never had the inclusion of anyone from the United States. That was very well received on the level of people in the streets who were happy to see us. And in the long run, I think we softened some of the relationships of some of the local ministry people who came away with a very different sense, a very different frame of reference about some Americans. So I think the message of peace opened doors and really resonated on a political level that we didn't anticipate. Demi. I can echo Kathy's sentiment here. Uh, we didn't have to change our sense of what our ministry is and our purpose is at all to really be emphasizing peace or to offer our tour as a way that local Quakers can reach out and better uh, have their programs and their facilities and their communities, their congregations known by the local people. So in that sense, we were doing exactly what we've always done in terms of our sense of mission. But the timing certainly was excellent to be able to step right into this Ibero-Manico festival and be so well received. I think people were very eager to see a group from America come. Any, any group from America would be welcome, but clearly our message, which was so focused on peace and so much a part of the general fun of the, of the festival, was particularly well received. I mean, as soon as we started off with a piece of classic 1980s rock and roll music as the, the basis for our dance, and did a little just country line dancing, the crowd was in our hands totally. They were just loving what we were doing. Uh, this was not the Quakers, this was the people coming to the, f the festival. Later, one of the uh, officials that we talked to, one of these people that the local friends meeting has been cultivating because they're very responsible for providing the government visas for all the Quakers who come to visit. Most of them will be coming to either teach or to help rebuild schools and churches and things, but they're responsible. These officials are responsible for the visas. And his comment was, well, we opened the door a little crack for you 
by providing the visas for you as a dance group, not just a group of people coming to rebuild. And you, in turn, exploded it wide open. And that was his comment, not ours. So I think we really were in a very timely place, at the right people at the right time, to be able to step in and do this. On more than one occasion, then, we were participating in this Festival Ibero-Monaco, and people loved us because we were there as Americans and as dancers. I'm sure that there's some people listening who are still wondering, how does dancing promote peace? Anyone want to put some flesh to that idea? Why is doing this international folk dance a movement towards peace? How about you, Barry? Well, I'll address it on a personal level. You know, I tend to view dancing as a skilled hobby, and I love good dancing. But through the dancing that we do, it's community building through dance. I've seen many examples of how that's occurred just in the way we interact with people, their initial reluctance, and then their wholesale embrace of dance as a community-building activity. And it's been really wonderful to see changed my attitude about dance. Sandra? In addition to what Barry said, we also use the dance as a sort of vehicle for our message in that we put together dances from cultures or countries that have been in conflict and that forms the performance part of our program so we can talk as we introduce the dance about how if people can understand each other which they can do through things like dance or song if they can do those things together it makes it more difficult for them to dehumanize each other in the kind of way that's necessary in order for conflicts to continue. And so in the performance part of our program, we have ample opportunity to make that point. And then when people get up and dance with us in the second part of our program, they're able to feel as if they are understanding not just with their minds, but with their whole selves, with their bodies and their spirits, what that process is like. And it's very empowering. Dance and music have a special power to move people. That's why in the psalm about making a joyful noise, they are both included as part of what it means to make a joyful noise. And we rely on that in terms of presenting our ministry to people to come back to that over and over again. The power that it has is there regardless of what kind of theological frame you put around it. And I think sometimes it's scary. That's why dancing has been seen as as evil in some authoritarian religions. But we managed to get around that quite effectively by coming in and as we perform, we kind of consecrate the space that we're dancing in and we hope that that space is still an accessible one and not high up on some stage. And then having done so, created this kind of energy, people watch our feet moving and you can just see their bodies wanting to respond and their feet wanting to respond, especially the kids who are less inhibited. And so for the second part of our programs, we always then invite everybody up and involve them in dances that are very easy to do. And universally, people respond out of that deep place of energy, of joy, of making a joyful noise. And it works pretty much every time. That's the the secret of our ministry and why we, as a group, keep coming back to it and doing these tours again and again, even after now 25 years for some of us. Last night when we were doing our performance and dance with the community, there was an older gentleman who had a cane, and we invited him several times to get up and do our dancing with us. And he always pointed to his cane up until the last thing that we did. And then he got up and 
did the dance with us, and afterwards he was so grateful, thankful. We went around smiling ear to ear, thanking everybody for his participation. It was a real change for him that had been so reluctant to join in. I want to mention something about the performance dances we do. Uh, Could some of you choose one of the medleys, talk about what it included, and how that worked uh, with our message of peace, your connection with that? Rosemary? I think the suite that we do that has the most obvious message is the one we call Shalom, Salam, Peace, or more familiarly, the Middle East medley. In it, we start with a dance called Sheikhani, which was based on steps by the Chaldean Christian people in Iraq, who at least at one point amounted to about 10% of the population. Then we follow it with Debka Oud, which is an Arab dance from Palestine, and then an Israeli harvest dance called Shiboleth Basadeh. And finally, we end with an American dance, the Southside Shuffle, which is set to the music of I Love a Rainy Night, because the U.S. has been so active in the Middle East. And the the combination of those four conveys the message that countries which have been at war, or in many cases are still at war, can be brought together through their music and their dance. At one time, we did a different Arab dance with Shibboleth Basadeh, and we noticed that the steps of the Arab dance fit perfectly with the music of the Israeli dance, which is a reminder that a lot of wars happen between peoples of neighboring countries, so it's not surprising that their music and dance should be similar. Have any of you perceived any of our audiences reacting as if putting these dances from warring nations together was offensive you know some people say right now if you're if you're a palestinian you're suffering under the heel of israelis or you're israelis who fear palestinian bombers or whatever that it might be offensive to bring their music together one of the things that we have as an advantage in that is that we are working pretty universally with friends groups. Friends groups around the world, friends groups of many different flavors, but all of them with an emphasis on that of God dwelling in everyone and an emphasis on peace. So the the basic assumption of our message certainly is not in any way strange or alien to the people that we're performing for. So I guess the, answer, the, the short answer is no, we haven't run into those issues in terms of our performing groups. I think if we did Astaghfirullah before a mostly Muslim group, Astaghfirullah is a Sufi Muslim dance uh, with the words, there is no God but God, as refrain being sung, I think many Muslims would take quite exception to what we are doing, since Muslims, both Sunni and Shiite, don't dance. And, of course, to use the word Allah in that form, they might find it extremely offensive. I wouldn't want to be around to find out. I'll toss in a comment here. This is, as Demi mentioned, the 25th year we've been doing these tours, and I'm one of the founders of this friendly folk dancer group that we're meeting with. Currently, we're in Cuba, and that's where our tour has been this year. But each year we go different places. A couple years ago we were in Rwanda. And at that point I said, maybe there's a way we could do a Hutu and a Tutsi dance together, medley civilizing there. But 
I have to say that I was too frightened to do it. I was both frightened I wouldn't be able to dance as well enough on their home turf, but I was also afraid that some people might find it offensive. So one thing here in Cuba, but we've got a lot of tours, a lot of experience with different countries as well as all over the United States to take into account. Demi? What you mentioned about Rwanda, we also traveled in 1996 to Kenya, and our message was very similar in Kenya, dancing the world together by dancing uh, dances from various cultures that have been in conflict. And it was the Kenyans themselves who immediately started seeing the possibility. Suppose, they said, we started teaching our kids to, to learn a Kukuyu dance and a Luya dance, and the dances of some of these different tribes, wouldn't that not help us to create a greater sense of unity and common purpose in Kenya? So they took our the structure of our our format and started thinking about how they could apply that through their schools, through the way they use dance in their schools. So I don't think it's such an alien idea at all, you know, for them to to immediately recognize the possibilities that they could do with their, their dances. Well, interestingly, I think this process of sort of warming up to our message and learning about us and getting more comfortable as we go along, it's not surprising in a way that that happens because it's part of our ministry of uh, spreading the word and there's an interesting sort of parallel process that even as we are saying how dance helps melt the tensions of misunderstanding at the same time the people that we're connecting with are getting to know us and their comfort level is going up and they're seeing the kind of dances that we do so it's sort of a parallel process that we're sending a message of countries getting more familiar and at the same time our hosts are getting more familiar with us. And then in the case of Cuba, I would add another parallel process, which is the other hosts on the level of the state and the national government also is getting more familiar with a group of Americans and and what we're presenting here. I think there's something very basic about what we do that is it's just human it's just how humans are and that is that well sometimes we talk about it in in that we say that we're very used to praying with our words with our lips but that it's possible to pray with one's hands and it's also possible to pray with one's whole body through dancing through one's work sometimes and i think that meeting someone on the level of the mind is a very small section of what's possible in meeting someone. It's when we meet someone with our hearts that transformation and connection can happen. And our hearts are much more likely to be open, engaged, whatever you want to call it, if we're not just thinking and talking, if we're also working together, singing together, dancing together, playing together. It's just what happens. Things become they go to a whole different level that makes lots of possibilities happen. In preparing ourselves to do tours outside of the United States, outside of the kind of safe, in quotes, confines of the silent meeting tradition that we initially come from, or that we originally come from, we said we're going to be traveling amongst more conservative programmed friends, evangelical friends, friends who will do a lot more praying and are much more Bible-focused, much more Christ-centered. 
And we had to come to our own acceptance of that and incorporation of that awareness in our message of love, in our reaching out. So in preparing ourselves, I think particularly to travel amongst African Quakers, we really have expanded our own sense of what unites us as friends, as the larger Global Friends community. That, I think, has been born a lot of fruit as we've, we've become more comfortable with that and we're able to travel and have been able to travel amongst more uh, theologically conservative groups of friends and discover all the parallels and all the connections that are there to be found. That's been part of the richness, I know, for me and I think for those of us who who've traveled now in, in some of the third world countries where Quakerism is represented by a much more evangelical branch. I think that's also been a similar part of our experience. That said, coming to Cuba provides us with a really unique situation where we are easy and comfortable with the local indigenous Quakers who are more evangelical and come from that tradition and they comfortable with us because we speak their language and in many ways and are not at all uh, uneasy being participating in their services. But here in Cuba there is a government which is nominally a very secular and atheist oriented government with whom the local Cubans are attempting to work and build relationships and have been doing very well at it. Our silent meeting tradition turns out to be, I think, a very good dimension that we bring to help build that bridge. And I was actually reflecting on the fact that at the meeting that we were at on Tuesday, the retired pastor there showed us a speech, a lecture that he had delivered to unprogrammed Quakers in New England Yearly Meeting, and it was about a bridge of love. That was the title of it. So here I am thinking about us as being part of the bridge between the secular Cuban government, a strong focus on social justice and on peace, which is what we carry with us all the time, and the local Cuban Quakers. And so I think our, our background as silent meeting Quakers in the United States who are more focused on peace and justice and less focused on the theological, who are able nevertheless to be comfortable with and part of the local friends community has provided us a unique vehicle to then be a bridge between them and the more secular Cuban government. We're just a natural because we talk about peace and social justice from the heart. It's really who we are. But we talk about it as Quakers and the local Quakers can embrace us fully in that part of the larger Quaker family. Lynn. Aside from the religious aspects of this, I think it's very important to just look at each other as people. Many of us have been told lies, if you will, about people of other countries, communist countries, about people of different color, and to get to know them as people and individuals and them to get to know us, I think is a very important part of what we're doing. Does anyone else care to make comment about any of the other medleys that we've performed, these things that we use to demonstrate reaching across international boundaries? One of the interesting things that I've observed here is that the Cubans love music and dance. Everywhere we go, on every street corner, there's music, there's dancing. But there's never been a sense of using dance as a part of their religion or part of their faith. And what I've seen is that when we model this prayer for peace through dance, all of a sudden a light goes on and they embrace that idea very, very quickly and, and get that concept 
of using music and dance for peace. Sandra? A medley that we created for this particular tour is a combination of a dance from Peru called Wino and a dance from the United States called Cotton Eye Joe. And it's an example of a medley that uh, it doesn't highlight cultures that have been at war and conflict, but highlights the tensions between North America, particularly the United States, and Latin America, where Latin America has been kind of inter- intervened on many times and uh, kind of pushed around by some of the policies of the United States. So we wanted to acknowledge through this suite of dances that we recognize that and that we recognize that every people should have the right to determine their own destiny, to, to be able to control their own resources and to have their culture be what they want it to be. We simply picked Peru because that was a dance that seemed accessible, but it's really about all of the countries of Latin America. You're listening to a visit with eight friendly folk dancers on site in Cuba from November of 2010. Mark and Sandra Helpsmeet, Pete and Lynn D'Angelo, Rosemary Coffey, Barry Beal, Demi Miller, and Kathy Lip Farr are present for today's Spirit in Action program. It is, of course, a Northern Spirit Radio production. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, your host, and northernspiritradio.org is our website complete with the archives for the past six years, links to all our guests, including the friendly folk dancers, and a place for you to share your comments. Right now, let's go back to an open room in Hibara, Cuba, for a spirit in action visit with the friendly folk dancers. We're speaking with a group of people here in Cuba, but we're also talking about the wider experience of friendly folk dancer tours, doing this international ministry for peace through folk dance. Some of the people in the room have been on just a couple tours. There's some of us who've been on something up to 25 tours. Anybody here care to comment about experience of particular note from previous tours? I have a actually a more general comment about the experience of the Friendly Folk Dancers. I've been on many tours and been on tours in the United States to different regions of the, the U.S. and also on foreign tours. Tours happen once a year, basically. And in the time between tours, I often sort of forget what tours are about. Or, and I find myself thinking, well, why do we do this? Friends in the U.S. really know about peace. I mean, the peace testimony is basic to Quakers. And I might th- end up thinking, well, we're going to go to this other foreign culture. And what are, what is the peace testimony? And in modern U.S. terms going to mean to them. You know, it's like I forget the power of it. And then the tour happens, and magical things happen, like two meetings that have been for years and years and years kind of estranged from each other come to the same program and end up making plans to do things together. Or people who have not seen each other for a long time happen to come to the program and are happy to see each other instead of unhappy to see each other. I mean, it's just, there are many, I'm sure others can share many specific experiences. But I've come to think over the years that it's a combination of our intention that we, we decide that we are going to go do this tour and we kind of place ourselves um, 
in God's hands, um, in the hands of the Spirit. And, and when we open ourselves like that, and when we intend to be present to this ministry, we don't really have to be in charge of it. Because the combination of us is much bigger than each of us individually. Of course, right now we are in Cuba, and because of our religious visa, we are only allowed to stay in religious facilities, which in this case has meant dorms in both Kabara and Hogin. Uh, when we went to Rwanda, it was quite a different story. Again, we did stay for the most part in religious facilities. However, in one place, uh, while you were shuttled off to somebody's a larger house of a pastor, uh, Lynn and I were quartered in the schoolmaster's house just in a spare room. So we were we had a chance to see what an upper middle class Rwandan lives like. And it was very interesting. You know, this was something that tourists don't see. And that in itself is a great education. Demi? I think part of what makes this tours special is that we go right to the congregations and we are invited into their community. And for the largest part, that means we'd stay in the homes of the people in the local congregations. The travel is not done in the way that most tourists do. We're moving basically from one church to another church. And seeing the country or the, the culture much more from the eyes of the local people who are our hosts. In fact, as Sandra has pointed out, we're really dependent upon them in many ways. And that creates a very, very different sense of understanding the world, understanding our role in the global community. We are ambassadors, but we are ambassadors of the Spirit, and in part because we are so welcomed by them into their homes, into their lives. Lynn? One of the things that I have felt on being on tour is that we receive much more than we bring to these people. Particularly in Rwanda, it was a great privilege to learn about the reconciliation and forgiveness programs that they are leading there for peace. It was also very special to meet the missionaries that are working there, particularly one woman who is trying to improve the nutrition of the people there. This is Mark speaking, your host for Spirit in Action, but also one of the members of the Friendly Folk Dancers for the last 25 years. One of the things that I'm stunned by regularly, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa 30-some years ago, and so I knew about hospitality, but it is constantly blows my mind to go to places like Kenya or Rwanda. The people who are considered, the, you know, the demographics say they're the poorest people in the world. They're the people who've had the harshest conditions. And their hospitality blows me away. I think that what we do in the United States, in spite of our riches, is insignificant in comparison to the deep well of generosity that they reach into in Rwanda or in Kenya or in Cuba. They reach in, even though they've got very little food or substance for themselves, and they give entirely to them. Demi? I think sometimes it's like a cross between the widow's mite and stone soup. What little they have, they share freely, and it creates a sense of abundance for everyone. Well, following on what Demi said, in addition to dance, we find that on the tours there are other universal human experiences that come, such as sharing food together, 
talking about one's family and one's children and one's relatives. In every performance, we see the little children come running out, laughing. They don't have the inhibitions, and they lead the way into the joyful part of dance and make an example for the adults. And we see these same things over and over again. So we come with the mission of dance, but we find that it, it's, it creates an opening for all the universal experiences that we share together with the people we see in the communities that we visit, and it enhances and grows more the sense of shared understanding. I'm going to shift again their focus a little bit. We are a group of Quakers. Of course, anybody could be doing this. There's no reason that Methodists couldn't be going around doing it and so on. Quakers have a particular religious basis or spiritual basis to what they do. I imagine some people figure that this is, since we describe this as a ministry, that we're going around and quoting the Bible left and right and trying to convert people. Anybody want to speak about what we're really doing on the spiritual level? Well, it's been part of the Quaker tradition from the very beginning to reach deeply inward and connect with the inner teacher, the inner guide, the inner message. And Quakers have always used lots of different poetic images to describe the experience of that inward presence. What is important, and for me personally, as I continue throughout my life to try and deepen this discipline of hearing the voice inwardly, is that it allows us to experience a wide variety of theologies and theological approaches, and always to interpret it in terms of that, the way the inner voice teaches us. So we begin to understand and, and are comfortable in a very universal way with many other religious groups. What it also means, though, is that we don't rely on doctrine, we don't rely on set scriptures, uh, at least amongst our group, but rather rely on how we are connecting with that of the divine in everyone that we meet. And it becomes much more easy to do it as we, as we practice it. So silent meeting Quakers tend to be much more focused on the practical or the practice of listening to and responding to that of the divine in everybody and not focusing at all on any of the outward trappings or the outward connections or the artifacts or the books or the, the beliefs. So that we do a lot of good outreach work. We are very evangelical, but it's much more about the process of how you connect with every person you meet with that spark of the divine that we know on faith is there in them. Actually, I find it very spiritually refreshing to dance in the program churches, whether it's in Rwanda or here in uh, Cuba. Uh, even though I can't necessarily understand the sermons, I can still feel the spirit moving. I know what the Cuban Quakers believe in. Uh, certainly, that is an unknown with unprogrammed friends. As Demi was saying, the unprogrammed friends believe in orthopraxy. And the programmed friends believe in orthodoxy. I think that in many ways they are getting back to the roots of Quakerism. Certainly, George Fox, the famous line, said, only Christ can speak to my condition. And reading in his autobiography, that is certainly abundantly clear what he meant. Something which I think has been lost to unprogrammed friends. They have, dri they have drifted away from the original source of energy and things that something that would cause you to quake. That perhaps the programmed friends know. Maybe we can learn from them. Sandra? I think that 
when we visit with friends who have different traditions than we do, we have the opportunity to experience our commonalities, to recognize that while we might express them in different ways, the things that we find compelling and that bring us to our Quaker faith are the things in common. In one way, it's a recapitulation of, on a more personal level, of the message that we're bringing in the Friendly Folk Dancer programs. Kathy? I would add that we're asking the communities that we visit to stretch their imagination and open up to what for them is a new way of thinking, a new way of worshiping. And likewise, we also have to stretch and open up our concept, recognizing that people are living in very different circumstances and that Quakerism, in fact, is very diverse. So I think both sides are reaching toward the center and we find a wonderful place of common understanding that at the end of the performance is the predominating sense of the room. Barry? It's been interesting to learn that the son of the two pastors here in Hibara is a conscientious objector to the Cuban military. That's something I would have never expected, but it's interesting to see his realization of the consequences for what he's done, the fact that he no longer can get work here in Cuba, and how it's changed his life and how he struggles with that. That's not something I would have expected to have found here. Rosemary? One of the things that really came home to me in the course of the Rwanda trip was that what brings us together as Quakers around the world or as friends, which is the more common term, is not simply the peace testimony, though of course that's part of it, but the fact that we are all trying to do the same kind of work in the world. So that even if the language is alien in the sense of the religious symbolism that's being used, the fact that we all care about the poor, we care about the people in prison, we care about the young men and sometimes women of our congregations who need to decide whether or not to join the military. These are issues that can bring us together. In traveling outside of our comfortable Anglo-speaking confines, we start to have to immediately translate in terms of languages and learn new languages. And it's a nice metaphor theologically as well. I grew up in a, what would be a conventional programmed Protestant tradition, and I learned a lot of Bible verses, and I learned a lot of Bible stories, and then I freely chose to go on a path that took me in a roundabout way to the Quakers, to the silent meeting Quakers, and the, what Pete refers to as the orthopraxy of the silent meeting, which was, a, for me, a step forward and away from a, a sense of orthodoxy that binds us. But I've really had a chance now to go back and look at all the wealth of things that I was given growing up in a program tradition. And I can see the same things happening for the, the young people growing up here and what good, loving things are happening coming out of that tradition. You know, I have no idea how many of them will stay on a path of orthodoxy, but I do know that the work we do in modeling the universality of the message of love and and the understanding that whatever words they use, whatever theological metaphors, constructs they're using to express it, that underneath we're speaking a common heart-to-heart -heart language. 
And that's why the dance and the music is so wonderful, because it transcends verbal languages immediately, and it transcends ideology. Certainly we're noticing that here, being the bridge between the secular Cuban government and the theologically oriented, biblically oriented Cuban Quakers in being able to say, but to demonstrate, rather not say, but say with our feet, with our message, that you share a common concern for love of the poor and for a world in which there is no use of force in which people really do get along with each other, in which peace reigns. So I'm delighted to be able to be led, you know, from my spiritual discipline, to be that tool, to be the hands of the divine, the feet by which justice is moved forwards, even in a small way. Does anyone have any additional vignettes from previous tours, previous experiences that are part of doing this friendly folk dance or traveling across the world? Rosemary. I've just remembered another incident in Kenya that was interesting. On that tour, we stayed in the homes of local families, and at one time, my husband and I were the guests of a couple who were Pentecostals. The woman uh, had been brought up as a Quaker, and she worked at the Quaker school as an assistant to the headmistress. But as she explained to me, When people of different faiths marry, the family tends to take on the faith of the husband, not of the wife. So they had been Pentecostals all this time. And after we got back home, we got a letter from the man saying that after our visit and the discussions that we had had, the family had decided to change their religion to Quakers. And was there anything that we could send them about Quakers on the international scene for their further education. So we sent them a year subscription to Friends Journal, which we hope was helpful, but we thought that was kind of an interesting and unintended, certainly, outcome of our visit. Have you got one, Sandra? When we were in New Zealand, one of the places where we gave our program was in a retirement home, a Quaker retirement home, Most of the residents were not able to get up and dance in the way that we might usually do that, so we did dances that were able to be carried out from being on your feet or being in a wheelchair or whatever. And one of the things that we did was the hokey pokey, which in New Zealand they call the hokey cokey. There was an elderly gentleman who had a cane, I believe, and he wasn't too sure that he could dance, but we encouraged him as we encouraged all of them, and he got up with his cane and and did the hokey-cokey with us. A couple days later, when we went to the local meeting for worship on Sunday, the same gentleman showed up for worship, and he um, got up and let everyone know that doing the hokey-cokey with the friendly folk dancers was a transformative experience because now he didn't need his cane and he told this long story and said look I'm without a cane because I did the hokey-cokey <laughs> it's one of those wonderful magical moments <laughs> Demi I'm reminded of opportunities that come to us totally unexpected one of them was in Brussels when we were touring in, in Northern Europe a performance fell through 
that the last minute the, one of the local Quaker meetings could not host us. There wasn't a space or uh, something went wrong. So another person realized that there was a refugee center. Essentially, they'd taken over an old army barracks uh, you know, with a drill field and everything to make it into a refugee center for North Africans coming into Brussels. And the conditions were pretty severe for whole families with small children. But at the very last minute, they arranged for us to come on a Friday evening and do a performance in the gymnasium in this armory. And we were so well received by everybody that they insisted that we come back. And we spent the whole next day, a very hot day I can recall, in Brussels, working with the children from, again, North Africa and through a number of translators to get, to get it out, teaching the children dances and then doing a, an, an impromptu performance for them again and with some of the kids performing for each other. And, you know, it's an opportunity like that that just comes along and we seize it and the kind of connection that we were able to make with people on a global scale was just so deeply moving. One of the additional things that came out of that is I think the following day or the day after when we then traveled to the Netherlands, right at the border there was an old World War I fortress that they had built as part of the Maginot Line. And during the, the Nazi Anschluss, it had been taken over and it had become a prisoner of war camp, a German-held prisoner of war camp in which political prisoners from Belgium were there. And it was now a museum, a kind of solemn museum of the Holocaust and of the implications of the Third Reich. And many people would go, but it was a very solemn experience to go through and take the whole tour and understand on a more deeper level the horrors that the people had to go through. The last room that we visited, and uh, one has to understand that this was built as an underground fortification. It was built with huge concrete bunkers and then completely buried in yards and yards of dirt. And the, the thing that the prisoners, the political prisoners there, had to do was to take the dirt all off the top of the structure and move it to a pile 200 yards away. That was their prison torture, their prison work. So the last room in this facility was one of these vaulted chambers, and they had transformed it into a memorial for those who were killed in the various camps during the Third Reich, uh, the final solution. So in one room, there were urns of ashes from every one of the other camps in Europe, and there was one room with an eternal flame. One of the dances that we had done and have done is a memorial to fallen dead. It's a dance, Lichko Kolo, from Yugoslavia. And so we were moved in the echoing vaulted chamber around this flame, this eternal flame, to suddenly spontaneously dance Lichko Kolo. It's a singing dance. And it was just another moving experience that would not have happened had we not had the opportunity right there in the moment because of this. I'll toss in one of my experiences. Back in 1992, the Friendly Folk Dancer tour group I was with was traveling across Pennsylvania. At one point, we were scheduled in a community center. The Quaker meeting was sponsoring us, but it was in a community center. We got there, and there was another group which was not on the schedule but had weekly been using the community center for martial arts and the leader 
had shown up there and he very graciously said well you've got your thing and we're not officially on the schedule so it's fine for you to do that but we'll stay and he had this whole troop of young males from maybe 20 down to uh, you know 10 or 12 years old they stayed and took part in our peace program now this is in martial arts the leader of this group was an amazing spiritual presence and he lit up and he, what he shared with us following he said I think maybe now I've found what I'm called to he's loved the intensity the focus of martial arts but he needed that additional spark of spirituality so that our introducing these dances to him the movement he felt was the perfect dovetailing of what he was called to it's just amazing even in the most common of places to run into a transformative experience. We've just got a minute or two left. I'm wondering if some of you care to comment what you do in your outside lives when you're not costumed, friendly folk dancer. How does this dovetail with your peace witness that you do when you're part of a friendly folk dancer tour? Kathy? In my daily life, I am a school social worker in the Hispanic community, and I would say for this tour, definitely my work resonates very much with our experience on the tour because another one of the great universal things is the love of every parent toward their child and the concern that they learn and grow in learn in school so that they can move toward adulthood with preparation for work and for being an adult. So I find the possibility of a very similar sense of connection, of universal understanding, opening up toward a common purpose. In that sense, I have really enjoyed seeing the similar connections with dance and even some possibilities of transferring the familiarity that I've been lucky to have here in Cuba with our work with dance. My two main interests outside of working for a living are uh, music and dance and computers and technology and so I uh, had the opportunity to combine those interests in several ways, doing websites for friendly folk dancers and for a school for disabled children in Zimbabwe and it it's just really fascinating to me to see how the internet has changed people's lives even here in Cuba that even though we have very limited access to internet it certainly has helped us communicate both with our families back home and to get some practical work done also. Lynn? One of the ways that we close our program is to do a dance and song called the Bills of Peace and we do it in a round with three circles and the inner circle represents our family, ourselves, and then we go to our community and our world. Both Pete and I are retired and we like to travel. We also do a lot of folk dancing and we're very involved with our family and hopefully bringing peace to ourselves and to those around us in the way that we live on a day-to-day basis. And Sandra? I think it was Kathy some years ago that shared with us something that she had learned, perhaps in Thailand, goes something like this, a peaceful heart creates a peaceful person, a peaceful person creates a peaceful family, and so on. So in my everyday life, I work on the level of the, the peaceful heart, peaceful person, in that I work part-time as a psychotherapist and part-time teaching yoga and doing yoga therapy. So those two disciplines, trying to help people find 
peace inside themselves are, I guess, nurtured. I draw on the well of my Quaker experience with the Friendly Folk Dancers and, and other Quaker settings to help uphold me as I do that work. Pete. As Lynn was saying, we are both retired and we dance usually four nights a week. But I think uh, dancing with the friendly folk dancers is a rather unique way of using our dance skills. I think it helps expand us and, and focus us more. Any last comments before we sign off? Well, yes, I just wanted to observe that just as our ministry here seeks to build a sense of common understanding, I'm very aware that in the build-up to military intervention, there is a counterpart to that, which is the opposite process. And that is a rather systematic training of distancing those who are called upon to fight and to be in combat go through a process of pulling away from society and entering a hierarchy in which people above them are making decisions and they are encouraged to be very systematically in sync with the military process. And so as part of that, they move away from society and they move away from that personal face-to-face contact with the people of the country that they're going to fight against. I think that is very relevant to our work because we're seeking to do the opposite. We're seeking to see the humanity in all people. We don't seek to distance ourselves or fragment ourselves or break off from the other people, but rather quite the opposite, to get closer, to see their humanity. And when we do that, it becomes impossible to engage in war. Very well said, Kathy. I want to thank all of you for being part of the tour, of course, but especially for joining me today for Spirit in Action. Today's Spirit in Action guests have been eight members of the Quaker folk dance group known as the Friendly Folk Dancers on tour last November in Cuba. Find more about them at friendlyfolkdancers.org, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.